Welcome back to the Act 2 podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. You might have to be guiding this one a lot today, Josh, but I'm here and I'm ready. Yes. Ish. Um, yeah, we. I. this is one of those weeks where I feel like every month we like to do one of those episodes where, you know, we talk about what happened in our our writing worlds and things compile and we think about things and instead of us talking about it with each other we present that over a podcast so everyone can talk to us about it without them talking back i kind of don't like it because usually i immediately if something happens in my writing life i just text you immediately or if i have a thought about a yeah. movie or show i text you immediately <laughs> <laughs> so it's really hard to like no, me too. bring these back there, there's something uh, to, that happened with me this week and I was like oh my gosh I can't I was like I pulled out my phone to message you and so I was like Tasha's busy I know she's stressed I'm not gonna message her and it just bummed me out so much I was I felt so lonely I was like who who am I talking to about any of this I guess I'll wait for the podcast well I'm glad I still get to hear it and don't feel like I'm ever too busy please always text me I need it yeah I'll I'll occasionally drop you like the 4 30 a.m text because I know your phone's on do not disturb. I don't care. I'll just send it. I mean, I feel like half your texts these days are, Maverick is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm here for those texts. So. Well, listen, as a matter of fact, that's actually something. Let's just talk about this for a second. Because okay. Maverick is so awesome. I purchased it because it just it recently came out on digital. And yeah. I rewatched it. I had my, my daughter watch it. Nicole, obviously, we saw it together, but I was like, I actually got mad at her because she was on her phone. Oh, uh, and it come was, on. I know. I felt like I did one of, the, one of those things where I was like, you don't want to watch it? Fine. Let's not watch it. This is what I'm going to Really offended. Was she like, okay, or was she like, no, 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 I'll put it away. Because also, how could she, how could you be on your phone in that movie? Like, it's, it seems like an impossibility. I, I don't know. She, she was apparently wanting to get a divorce because I was upset. <laughs> but here, here's, here's my question. So you've re-seen it. I've seen it oh, again. yeah. We talked about what the theme of Maverick was or is. Yeah. And after seeing it again, do you feel like there's a clear-cut theme to Maverick? It's clearer the more you watch it. Could it be clearer? Yes. But the through line, the emotional through line becomes clearer the more you watch it because all the like big crazy stuff kind of falls away a little bit more because yeah. you you've seen it and so you're paying attention to the smaller moments in between the big stuff which is where all the, the emotional meat happens mm. okay i guess yeah what do you it's... think you've watched it maybe more than me i've only seen it three times no that's how many times i've only seen it three times <laughs> and that's how many times i've seen it i, I have to watch it again I need a clear mm-hmm. cut, like, like Mavericks, his arc and everything is very clear, but like thematically, let me just pause. Like the movie is like a mirror of like what Tom Cruise's career is, where mm-hmm. Ed Harris has that line right in the beginning where he's like, you're going to be extinct one day, Mav, or whatever he says. And then Tom Cruise is like, maybe, but not yet. And he just like mm-hmm. proceeds. Not today. Yeah, yeah. It proceeds to make like the greatest movie of all time. And I feel like <laughs> it's almost, it's like a, 
reflection on where his career is right now. Like people are coming up, yeah. but Tom Cruise is still going. You know what's so interesting about this movie, just from like a character perspective, and the answer is a lot of things, mm -hmm. but in thinking about Maverick in particular and his arc, he doesn't have an arc, meaning I don't think he's necessarily different, a different person by the end of the movie, but he has like realizations along the way that make him a better person, right? Towards mm -hmm. Rooster, Goose's son. Um, he makes better choices with Rooster than he was making at the beginning of the movie. So I guess that's his arc. But I think what's so interesting about Maverick as a character, which is why we love Maverick so much, is that actually everyone has to meet Maverick where he is. Yeah. Like Maverick is the answer to all the problems. They could not survive what happened in Top Gun Maverick without Maverick being Maverick. Yeah. So everyone else has to figure out how to be more like Maverick. And that's such a cool hero yeah. character to have. That's great. And I, and I thought about that and I, I felt like, yes, as a hero, that's what's so awesome about it is like, he never lets you, like he doesn't ever fail at what he's doing. He's always mm -hmm. so good. And even when he's like, all right, guys, let's fight. And he just beats them all. And it's, it's just, I love it. Maverick is so <laughs> awesome. It's so good. Okay. My first like actual this week in writing. Yeah. Or do you want to go? You want to, you want to, no, kick this I, off? I don't. Yeah, me too. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, okay. Do you remember a while ago? I wrote, I wrote a script called rent a white guy. I do. I really enjoyed that script. <laughs> so I get this call from this producer out of the blue. Oh God, I love this story already. Yes. And he's like, Hey man, what's up with rent a white guy? And I was like, I don't know what's up with it. Like I haven't thought about it. Pause I, question. Question yeah. number one. Yeah. <laughs> Who is this producer? Is he someone you've known for a while? Is he someone you keep in contact regularly? When's the last time you've spoken to him or her? It's been about, well, I mean, it was definitely, it was probably like 2018. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. And I actually had met him based, I met him because of Rent a White Guy. Okay. And so like I had a meeting with him and whatever, I, I didn't eat whatever he's doing his thing he read your sample and he wanted to meet you off of rent a white guy yeah 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 and so that was i mean that was so so many years ago and then i get this call and he was like what's going on with it more or less was like i'd love to like show rent a white guy like kind of take it out and try to get some traction with it and i was like all right let me reread it because i haven't read it in a really really long time so I go back and reread the script and there are things that I would want to change in this script. Yeah. I don't know if I could get away with some of the jokes in this script. Yeah. You wrote it a long time ago. Like he read it in 2018, but you didn't write it in 2018. You wrote it a long time ago. Yeah. I wrote it like 2016, something like that. I, yeah. I was a different least. person. The world was yeah. in a different place. Mm -hmm. I was stupid enough to write a script called rent a white guy mm -hmm. so i i i get back to him and i'm like i don't know if it's such a good idea i think there needs to be somewhat of a big overhaul with the script and that's cool i can get into it but not right now i don't know if i have like the mental space to like dive back yeah. into i don't know if this is the right call so he's like okay so then he gets back to me again he's like what if I option the script from you? 
for yeah. just a small amount of money. And I was like, that sounds appealing, but it still doesn't solve the problem of, uh, like I wrote this script that I feel like needs, needs to be changed. Yeah. So what would you do, Tasha, if you were I would take this offer. This is great. Because he's trying to say, I get that you can't do this for free because you don't have the time, but make it, let me make it more appealing to you. I will pay you a small sum of money, which is all I probably can afford because I don't have development money. Yeah. And uh, how about you develop it and do a pass on it? Hmm. Because I feel like structurally, your movie works. It's yeah. probably just scene work at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's got some, it's got some things that I would definitely want to change. Like I, yeah. I like I'm very sensitive to some of these, some of the things that have happened over the last couple of years. And there's yeah. things. Do you in want, the, do you want to say what the log line of your movie is? <clears throat> well, rent a white guy is about, I, I don't, that's, this has been so long. I, I don't even remember what the log line <laughs> it's, it's essentially about a, uh, rent a white guy program, which is real. That is in, that was in, uh, China. And basically, people from America or England or white people get rented to be to pose as CEOs of companies in China because apparently it offered a little bit more appeal for like Chinese investors. So mm -hmm. my story is about a guy who's down on his luck. He's coming out of a breakup. He needs to kind of get over this girl. So he goes to China off of a friend's recommendation and joins this rent a white guy program because it is a free ticket to get to China. And mm -hmm. while he's there, he gets caught up in like, you know, an action comedy essentially because he poses as a CEO who is doing a lot of dirty work and one thing leads to another and now he is trying to clear his name, he's trying to survive and he's, you know, fallen in love with a new girl. So that's mm -hmm. essentially what rent a white guy is. Sounds amazing. <laughs> Needs some work. So anyway, that, that was, that was my, that's what happened. And it's just, I've had a lot of shit kicking around out in the world. And, and uh, this is another uh, thing of like scripts never die. They just always pop I know, I feel like this year things are coming to roost, as it were, if that's the right metaphor. <laughs> no, that's the perfect metaphor. That was a long, long story. But I think that's great. And I'm really sad you didn't text me that immediately when you heard that because I can tell this was something that probably should have come through text. Yeah. No, this is awesome. This is super awesome. Uh, I mean, I've always enjoyed that script. I thought the comedy was really funny. And yes, if there's a way to make the setup work, it's maybe like focusing on the setup and probably scene work jokes and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm here for it. Okay. I'll let you know how it goes. Keep us posted. I, I have, you know, what's funny is I haven't even written him back yet, but I just talked about it on a podcast. So uh, let's see what happens. Well, this is the writer therapy. This is what it's for. Mm -hmm. I make all my decisions only after we do the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what if someone's going to listen to the podcast and be like, yo, why don't you just email me rather than <laughs> talk about all this on the podcast? <laughs> all right. That's, that's, that's what happened. What's up, Tasha? What's up in your world? Speaking of personal writing phone calls, that <laughs> shouldn't be on a podcast. <laughs> um, so I had a notes call recently that feels like it's worth talking about because the sort of premise of the notes call was, uh, here's some notes ahead of time, read them and pitch us your solutions, which is fairly common. 
Yeah. I feel like the most common notes I get are just like, here's a notes document. Like, let's let's mutually discuss. This was a bit more pointed, like literally think about it ahead of time, come up with, with pitches. So I did that. And every time I pitched a solution, it was met with silence. <laughs> and then with, nah, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Like, Do you have any other suggestions? They're like, well, no, you're supposed to be leading this meeting. I'm like, well... But you didn't like my idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what no. I have to do here? <laughs> I am. I'm leading it with this pitch. <laughs> yeah. Wow. The silence is the one that kills me because they're like, in that silence, they're thinking, dear God, that's a terrible idea. How do I say this politely? But I think the lesson learned and the why it's a, a this week in writing is how to like deal with just being on your back foot, I guess. Like, yeah. I, I thought I'd prepared for this meeting and maybe I should have prepared more, um, like really read through the script again and like really, really analyzed each scene and just like really, really gone through it. But I was going off kind of the memory of the movie that I'd written. And well, let me just say, as you probably know about me, I don't do great with silences. Uh, it's <laughs> something that I've always tried to like... <laughs> get better at because if if i pitch something and there's a silence i'm instantly going i'm like talking again i'm like well yeah. in a, in a, you know actually and then i'm like just riffing and i'm just going because i can tell where the i don't want like the conversation to just fucking nosedive and so yeah it's really hard it gets really awkward when you yeah. go down that route yeah, I think the way I had to end up framing it was just trying to understand what their note was and like making sure they were articulating it. So, okay, you don't like my version. Mm -hmm. What about it don't you like? What about your solution do you like? And how can I as the writer understand like what the middle ground is there? Yeah. Because it was an interesting notes meeting because it was like, they just really want to polish. I think they just want this to literally just shine. Like the literal version of polish. They just want things to be plussed and to be a bit better. But the notes they're giving, and they acknowledged this in the notes meeting, was that they were afraid the notes they were giving me were going to unravel the whole movie. Mm. Which is like, you know, if I give you a note that, look, look I just want to polish, but this one scene you have that your entire second act hinges on, I want it to be different. Suddenly you are like, oh my God, <laughs> how do I, how do I feel those pieces? If, if I pulled that thread, everything, the whole sweater of act two falls apart. Yeah. Like how, how do I fix this? And so it's tough because you have to get these kinds of notes all the time where people who are not writers are giving you what they think the solution is to the problem. And your job as a writer is not to just do what they tell you to do. It's to figure out what their real note is and find like a cooler way to address it than yeah. they're giving you. Um, and they know that, which is what's great about these producers. They're like, we're not writers, you are. You have to figure out how to, how to actually translate this, but here's just what our thoughts are. And so, I mean, that's a lesson too, I think, as of this week in writing, and that's, that's just how, that's just part of your job as a, as a writer when it comes to notes. Yeah, it's always figuring out the note behind the note, as everyone always says. But yeah, it is, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, and going back to what I just said about having that awkward silence, if you pitch something or whatever comes up, 
there's a old, older, I don't even know if this guy's still like in the entertainment world, but there was a person that I knew who was trying to do his thing in Hollywood. He kind of worked in the tech world for a little bit. He had a lot of like motivational uh, thoughts to his brain. He'd always like talk to me about things. He'd always say to me how just like linger in silence and let the other person talk. He's like, let it be uncomfortable because mm. if you can make it uncomfortable for somebody else and someone always shows themselves when you're sitting in silence. Ooh, I always, I always interesting. Thought about that. It's easier said than done. When you say something, you just sit there. Just wait. Like right now. <laughs> I feel like I'm really good with silence. I know. Like I'm like, what? Why aren't we talking? <laughs> That's probably. It's probably like. I wonder if you've gotten a job. They're like, she just sat there in silence, and we just. It's so intimidating. Just, she just gave, gave her the job. I didn't know what else to say. Meanwhile, I'm just like thinking about what I'm having for lunch in a few hours. <laughs> okay. Okay. I rewatch Minority Report. Yes. For a, for a reason or just because it was on? Like for a job? For a no. script? The truth is because Maverick was out, there was a ton of top, I mean, excuse me, a lot of Tom Cruise movies on Apple. Sure. And Minority Report, Minority Report was like four ninety nine, and I was like, "Dude, I haven't seen this in a while. I'm gonna mm-hmm. rewatch this." That's why I, re- I I watched it, and it it's it's so good. I really it like holds up, right? Yeah, it's really cool, and and it's really it's got some really cool elements to it. But something that stuck out to me, and I started to really think about, was the exposition that is dumped to the viewer, and mm-hmm. it's done pretty heavily in act one, obviously, but it's all done in like different unique ways. At one point, Tom Cruise is in front of the screen and he's moving his hands around and he's, you know, uh, uh, Colin Farrell walks in and he's like, you know, uh, this is an echo. This is the ball comes down over here. And so he's in action Mm -hmm. while he's giving all this pretty important information. Um, Another time it happens is it's done through like a commercial of pre-crime is oh, yeah. know, up 99%. And then a third time is you, they go into the um, the three precogs, I think they're called, and they go down and it's just kind of eerie and Colin Farrell's walking around them. And, and it's there's like this weird intensity to the scene because no one's ever really been in this room before. You're not supposed to go down there, but exposition is being dumped while they're walking around these different, mm-hmm. like these people. And it was just all really interesting because it's always very hard to to do that. And especially in like sci-fi movies, especially where there's yeah. tons of backstory. I just, thought, I just found it pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, they do this really great device of making Colin Farrell the audience, meaning he doesn't know anything about what the hell is going on here. Right. So if a character within your movie doesn't know what's going on and Tom Cruise has to explain it to them, you are as an audience member, more willing and more patient to watch this exposition come through because it's all through other characters rather than you feeling like you're being talked to. And that just takes you out of the movie going experience. So it's like such a helpful device to use. And it's such a specific device that it doesn't always work. But if you can find a way, like I always forget that as a device to be totally honest, but it's such a good way of doing it. Also, I think at the beginning of that movie, I think it opens with exposition, right? Where it's like a teacher leading a class through... No, it opens with the the murder. It opens like 
a weird dreamlike sequence of like the very, very first murder that's that we see. But real quickly, before I forget what you said about Colin Farrell. Yeah. You're right. And what also makes him really good and important and interesting is that he's opposing everything Tom Cruise says. So Tom Cruise Mm. is giving him the exposition, but Colin Farrell's like pushing back on everything he says. So he's coming at it from a completely different perspective. He's like, they're humans. There's going to be human error. And Tom Cruise is like, no, not happening. It can't happen because X, Y, and Z. And he's like, I worked in the homicide division or whatever. Like, I'm telling you, if this just... There, there's going to be a problem because there's human beings and how could there not have been a murder? You know, and there, he's, he's always pushing right. back. And I, I feel like that That's probably, smart. probably helps with exposition, giving the, the, the mm-hmm. person who is the audience a uh, point of view. Yeah. Essentially. It reminds me actually of the conversation we had last episode where you were mentioning having conversations where it's just question and answer and how over mm-hmm. time you learn to like, complicate the scene so it's not a direct question and answer that feels like exactly what was done here where like it could easily this could have been an exposition scene of i'm a new cop i don't know what's going on i'm tom cruise i'm just gonna explain it all to you but instead yeah this new cop had a point of view that he came into that scene with and he was very urgently trying to push his point of view and that's what made it feel like it was actually a scene rather than just exposition is because these two characters are engaging over the topic yeah. In a like in a controversial or like contested way. Yeah. Awesome. It's great. It's the movie is so good. It is so well done for the exact reasons. Like it's so the mythology is so complicated of how pre-crime works. Yeah. But it's ne- it never feels complicated once in the entire movie. No. And like there's just random technology and a lot of things that are really Uh, relevant today and and just things are going on it's just so organic in the world it's never really in your face it's just kind of it's just happening Mm -hmm. i remember there's that scene where tom cruise goes and gets some kind of surgery yeah on his eyes or something yeah he gets his eyeballs replaced he gets his eyeballs replaced and there was no sort of build up to that there was no explanation for what was happening you just Mm -hmm. kind of experience it through tom cruise but you understand what he's doing because scenes before and scenes directly after, you see the technology working and why the eye replacement was important. But they're like, I always feel like, because I do a lot of movies that require big world building stuff, there's always this instinct to over explain things so yeah. you don't lose anyone. But Minority Report is a great example of not talking down to the audience and not over explaining things. One more thing I'm going to say about this eyeball scene is what was really cool about it, and this kind of ties back into what we were just saying about the Colin Farrell being the opposition, is so Tom Cruise, um, he goes to see this guy, he's getting new eyeballs, and the person is, you know, kind of grimy and and in this like old house or apartment or what, it's just disgusting, like not a place you want to have surgery. And he gives uh, Tom Cruise a shot and he starts drugging him, and Tom Cruise is getting ready and right while this is happening, right before the eye surgery, the guy's like, you don't remember me, do you? And Tom Cruise is like, no. And he's kind of like laughing because he's drugged up. And he's like, you put me away. And my practice had to close. And Tom Cruise, you know, and they have this back and forth. But yeah. it created this tension that didn't have to be there, but it was there. Because there's already yeah. like a tense scene. His dude's getting his eyeballs replaced. Now all of a sudden, this, the guy who was replacing his eyeballs was put away because of Tom Cruise. 
it's awesome. Does that ever pay off? I no. definitely remember that. That doesn't pay off though, right? Cause he does, he does the surgery just fine. He does, but I guess his, he's like, I'm going to make it really painful essentially. Right. But okay. no, it, not, it doesn't pay off in any way, shape or form. It's really funny. That's super smart. Yeah. All right. Moving on, Tasha. All right. Um, my other this week's in writings are things that I've watched recently, but that like really made me think about writing things. That's the greatest thing you could have said. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start with only murders in the building, mm. which I can't stop talking about just because it's the main show I've been watching. Oh, awesome. Have you seen it? No, I have not. So I really enjoy it. Uh, it's very funny. It's very engaging. But the, the writing lesson to me are the hooks in the episodes. Yeah. Because oftentimes, particularly in season two, I will watch an episode and be like, oh, this is so boring. It has nothing to do with anything. It's random. These jokes aren't landing. And then they'll do a hook and I'm like, oh my God, I have to watch the next episode. Yeah. And I'm like, but why am I so passionate about watching the next episode? It is literally only because of the way they end with the final scene of, of the episode. And I'm bringing this up because, you know, hooks are not something we think about in features. It's never something I really had to think about, even though every act should kind of have a hook. They just, you just don't think of it the same way. And when I started getting into TV, I had the hardest time figuring out what a hook was because a hook to me was not clearly a hook to the producers. And I'm like, well, I think that's interesting as the writer. And they're like, yeah, but if you're an audience member, that's not interesting. That's yeah. not the thing that's gonna make you click. I need to watch the next hour and spend the next hour of my life watching your show. So it's almost like I had to think of a trick to like a monster comes out of nowhere in the last two seconds of the movie and you're like oh shit why how does that yeah. happen i gotta click to the and that's fine like that's stranger things season four in particular does this really well with its hooks as well mm -hmm. and it's something now that i'm working in tv more is very much something we have to pay attention to and especially with streaming because a big way that streamers determine whether your show is successful is whether people are clicking through to the next episode. And they have all this data about how often they click through, how many times they click through, what time of day they're clicking, just all the click throughs. And so the hook becomes extremely important. And I just want to talk about hooks. Hooks. Are the hooks in Murders in the Building organic or do they sometimes feel random? They sometimes feel random. But do you care because it's a hook? Yes. Yes, you care, or yes, you don't care. Oh, I don't care that it's random. <laughs> I I care that I I want to watch in the in the way that I want to watch another episode. Because wow. I'm like, how the fuck? Like, why is that person involved all of a sudden? Now I need to know that. I love Martin Short and Steve Martin, by the way, and I guess Selena Gomez. I don't want to exclude her from this conversation, but I love Martin Short and Steve uh, Steve Martin. So I don't know how why I haven't watched this uh, show yet. So highly recommend. It's super fun. And it it takes place in a building. The in entire a building. Every episode. Every episode. They're trying to solve a murder. Yeah. Wow. And then what, like new characters come out and they're like, surprise, I've been here the entire time. They'll like meet new people who live in the building because it's a huge, huge apartment complex. You know what show I always think about would have crushed in the streaming world because of the hooks is Lost. Oh had, man. Had Lost existed on like Netflix holy shit because every episode was like at the end that was what made that show so awesome like every yeah. episode they're like oh and by the way there's a hatch and you're like what 
What the fuck? Yeah. I have to wait seven days I mean, for this? That's, that was the beauty. Yeah, you just, it, the hooks had to be so good and lost that you were yeah. willing to wait a week to get to it. That's how good those hooks were. So there was that script, The Disciple Program, by that writer, yeah. Tyler Marcera, I think his uh-huh. name is. And I remember reading about it, uh, reading, I don't know where, I, so, somewhere, because he was, he was kind of blown up at the time. And I think he had said that when he had written that script, it was for a competition where every 15 pages it had to be, like the competition was, you have to like keep elevating your script oh, every wow. 15 pages. So mm-hmm. the reason his script was so engaging and awesome was because I think he kind of did like little hooks and twists and turns after every 15 pages. So it just, you wanted to keep reading and reading and reading. So I, what I'm saying is I wonder if there's a way that you can implement hooks into scripts the way that they're in television. I think that's a clear uh, explanation yeah. of, of why and how. Yeah, I, I think it's I, so important. I just, I just answered yeah. my question. <laughs> I think with I features, it. it's so much harder though, because yeah. in features, you can't just do a monster pops out of nowhere in episode at the end of episode two. And in episode three, there is no monster. Where'd the right. monster come from? What was the monster? Oh, you're not going to know until episode six. But you mm. can't do that. You have to like, if you introduce a monster at the break into act two, in your feature, a monster better show up like pretty quickly in act two. Yeah. So you do have to answer it in a very different way. But absolutely, if you can think that way, if your brain can get there, like that's absolutely how we should be right. I mean, theoretically, that's what those markers in your feature are, right? The yeah, break totally. into act two is supposed to be a big hook. Your midpoint is supposed to be a big hook. Your break into three is supposed to be a big hook. I think about this. I wish I, I, wish I was a little better at creating really engaging hooks. And, they're hard. Uh, they're I don't know hard. why they're hard. Like someone in danger is a really great hook. If you've seen Stranger Things 4, spoiler alert for a second, skip ahead 30 seconds if you haven't seen it. Yeah. But there's one episode where Steve is lying in the upside down and he's being attacked and basically killed by mm-hmm. these creatures. And you're out on that and you're like, well, I can't just let Steve die. I need to know yeah. what happens in the next episode. So it's like a character in danger that we've fallen in love with is definitely a hook. You can cheat it and do the whole monster comes out of nowhere yeah. as your hook. The only murders in the building, a lot of their their hooks are very different, but a lot of them would be like, you know, it's an investigation into a murder. So uh, we're investigating, we're investigating all episode. And at the end of the episode, a new clue pops up that insinuate someone that you just absolutely did not think was even part of this picture. Mm. So now you need to know why they're involved. I think I'm going to try to write a script that is like, or maybe a show, but where it's just so hook heavy that it's, it's almost to an absurd level where you're like there, you got to pump the brakes on these hooks. I'm having a heart (laughs) attack reading this. I can't wait to watch that. (laughs) You'll know, you'll know, you'll be like, so there's ghosts and monsters in this script? I'm like, yeah. It's so hard. Like part of the thing I'm writing now is there's so many characters in it that I do feel like every time you leave those characters, you need a hook. Like think of Game of Thrones, for instance. Like you follow so many groups of characters that each time you leave that group of character, it feels like you have to end on a hook yeah. because you need the audience to be like, oh, what's, what's gonna happen with them? No, like go back to them. I wanna know more about them. So that makes me wanna go to the next episode. So they're fucking hard. Very fucking hard. And again, Stranger Things does an excellent job excellent. with exactly that, where midway through, you know, 
the, the kids will meet somebody who has a computer that all of a sudden they need to communicate with some like government agency or whatever. And you're like, mm-hmm. wait, where's that going? And mm-hmm. they, that Stranger Things, this, ep, this season, this past season, amazing. Just amazing. Yeah. I don't know how they did it, but yeah. they did it. Some of them were cheats for sure. But yeah. Yeah, if yeah. it's grounded in character, like the reason why I cared about Steve was because I loved Steve and they made me love Steve. So if you can do that, I feel like your hooks will be a little easier mm-hmm. because you can just kind of put your character in peril. Yeah. <sighs> it's so hard. That's a good one. I like that this week in writing. Thanks. I think I have one more. Did you have another okay. thing? Yeah. I have one more. Like, this is super random. I almost think we can skip it. No, I want it. Okay. So, I was driving with my daughter. Uh-huh. And she's like, Dad, put on a movie. And I'm like, the f- what are you talking about? I'm driving. She was like, put it on so I can listen to it. Yeah. And I was like, put it on so you can listen to it. Okay. So, I plugged in my phone and we just listened to a movie the bad guys while we were driving earlier today. And I was like, wait a minute. It's clearly like a podcast, but, yeah. but, but it was such a good exercise from a writing point of view of mm. like, I was like, did I, do I know what's going on right now in this, with everything here? And listen, I obviously we're talking about screenwriting, but if like you ever engage in writing a podcast or something, I feel like you should listen to a movie while you're driving or whatever it is because you can literally like figure out the moments where you're like, there needs to be a little exposition about what I'm looking at here. Mm-hmm. Like a, a police officer walks in. Like you, you, you don't know that without the visual cue, but in a podcast, they'd be like, Officer Judy walks in and she's, right. uh, you know, towering over the, the bad guys. But it was just such a like, an interesting exercise and to just hear the writing and just to hear like the conversations and to try to follow along with what's going on. I don't know if it carries over, like, I don't know if it's good writing. I I don't know. I don't know. It was just, it was just, it was awesome. I Uh, love that as a, as a writing lesson. Yeah. Like I bet if you put on a movie or a show from someone you really admire, like my brain goes to an Aaron Sorkin movie. Mm. If you throw on a few good men, and yeah. you just listen to that shit. Yeah. I bet you're going to learn so much about cadence and how people talk and yeah. uh, how scenes progress and the tension within scenes just because the, you're taking the visual out. Actually, in college, we did this really cool exercise where we watched the same movie over and over again for like the entire semester or at least for several weeks. What and a lazy teacher, but yeah. I know, uh, exactly. <laughs> but. Each time we watched it, he'd take something away. So like only only listen to the background noise. Oh. Only listen to the soundtrack. Genius. Only teacher. listen to the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Listen okay. to it with no sound. Like all he he would just take these pieces away so that it forces you to understand the different kinds of storytelling that are available to you when you write a movie, which is actually incredible. Incredible exercise. I'm sorry I judged your teacher before you even told that story. That's what I do, but I love that. That's actually awesome. That's great. But yeah, listen, listen to a movie as like as you know who we should have on one day, Paul, Paul Bay. He's coming on one of these days to talk about Paul. Come on, you've been blocking him. You've been blocking him for so long, but I think it's time uh, because I know he's like the master of uh, podcasts. But 
uh, it's just, it's an interesting story uh, telling technique just to listen. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, last one. Okay, my last one is nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spoiler alert, please turn off this podcast if you've not seen nope. Or if you don't care, keep, keep listening. Yeah. Okay. You about, to, you about to just tear this movie apart? or No, I love this movie. Oh, but the did. end, the end left me going like, oh man, I just wish that ended better. But yeah. here was the, here's the writing lesson I wanted to talk about was, and it's something that I'm dealing now with my own thing, which is why I like really honed in on it. So at the end of the movie, there's a conversation about like, it's basically planning a heist is essentially what they're doing. They're, they're, they're putting their heads together on how to beat this monster. And they're all, there's a map involved. It's really cute. They use little Monopoly figurines to represent each person. So there's some humor involved in how they do it. And like the music is really great. It revs you up. It gives you this feeling of like, these people are smart and they're going to fucking do it. They're finally going to get this monster. Mm. And then it cuts away before you ever actually hear their plan. You hear like, I'll be here. Okay, well, I'll be over here. Are you going to be ready? I'll be ready. It's like that kind of conversation, but you have no idea what they're going to be ready for or why they're going over that ridge. You don't yeah. understand. And so then it just cuts to now we're in it. We're in real time watching their heist unfold. And I was debating whether or not this was the right way to go about any kind of heist or plan because you have two options in a scenario like this. So the first option is you... Ocean's Eleven it. You tell us exactly what the plan is going to be, where we have to go, who's doing the thing to get the thing. And then in the watching of it, it all goes wrong. Or you do what Nope did, which is you hide the ball. You don't tell us what the plan is. You just give us little choice details. And then the plan itself is sort of the thrill because mm. you're watching it unfold, seeing how or what the plan actually was. So my question to you is, did you like how that played out? Or do you wish you had known more and then had fun in a different way? Well, Tasha, I like the movie. Mm -hmm. I don't think I minded how it played out. Okay. I didn't really even think about it, to be honest, until you're bringing it up or until you brought it up. I, okay. I briefly talked about it, but I was, I, I, I will... I guess looking back, I was kind of like, all right, I wonder, wonder what this plan is. But I feel like it, it's interesting you say that because um, you're invested with the characters by this point that it almost doesn't matter what the plan is. Mm. Oh, interesting. Like That's fair. Oceans. I might be wrong about this. I'm, I'm thinking of this right now. But like Oceans, mm -hmm. you obviously... The movie is the heist and that you're getting to love Danny Ocean because of his heisting abilities and winning people over. But that's not what Nope is. It's not like, are they crafty enough to uh, trick an alien or like a flying saucer? Or And you're, you're just kind of in and you're rooting for the characters. So mm -hmm. I wonder if it works because you're in. Yeah. Maybe. That's a really great point. That's a really great point. My counter to that. Yes. And it might not be a counter, but at the very end, like the climax of this heist is that Kiki Palmer runs into the Old West town and unlatches the giant balloon right. that f goes into the air and explodes the monster because he eats it. So like 
she's you know the fact that she has to get or anyone has to get to the old west town to release the balloon is not something i am privy to i don't understand it that's not something i'm expecting so when they're trying to get from point a to point b i have no tension there's no tension for me because i don't understand that that's their end game so i'm just kind of confused but okay it seems like kiki palmer escapes and that's great like i'm really happy for her but oh and then a second later i'm like oh she's like going somewhere with intent she's not just escaping well where is she going oh and then she's like she's like putting all this effort into getting the balloon free and i'm like what the fuck is she doing so again there's no tension i'm just like what's happening and then the balloon releases and then i'm like oh oh okay like that's cool which is in itself that's a fine experience but just to just to be specific, that's the experience you're giving me. You've just changed my mind. Okay. <laughs> Here, what I love, we've talked about this before, like I love in heist when things go wrong. Things have to go yeah. wrong in heist. And Mission Impossible being the, well, you know, we got to get in. It can't, the temperature can't drop to this. And if it drops to this, we're fucked. You yeah. don't let a, any of this. And so just because I know it's, I know Nope's not a heist movie, but I really like when plans malfunction. And I feel yeah. like, Given what you're saying, there probably could have been a lot of fun with one person has one plan, someone else has another plan, and that just goes to shit, or like their plan that they agree on goes to shit, and so they have to pivot to Kiki Palmer's plan of getting to the old, old West Town. Whatever, right. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't re- really remember, to be honest, like the last 30 minutes of how like the step-by-step. Which is probably because of this exact reason. Like it just mm. didn't affect you as much. Because it wasn't maybe delivered in the most exciting way. It's tough, though, because I could counter my own argument. Because there's something so cool about realizing that their plan this whole time is to release this balloon. Because then in that moment is when you're like, oh, shit, I get what they're doing now. Yeah. Because that's set up that this thing can't eat inorganic material or yeah, yeah, yeah. it like kind of goes bad. So that's very cool. So if I knew from the get-go they were trying to release a balloon, that would not have been ex- as exciting. But I feel like there's maybe a middle ground where they could have at least said, we got to get to the Old West Town to do that thing. And she's like, yeah, I got to go do that thing. Should we have Jordan Peele on to talk to him about this? I would love that because I, I would love if he just destroyed me yeah. with, with why he did it the way he did. I would look forward to that. Me too, actually. Because I need help with my heist, so maybe you can help me. <laughs> You'd be like, first of all, Tasha, it's not a heist. <laughs> Second of all, I'm, I'm hanging up now. Yeah. You just be off the podcast. Yeah. It's okay, you knew my name. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming on, Jordan Peele. <laughs> That's, That's my all. thought. I just, yeah, because I'm dealing with that too. I'm dealing with a heist right yeah. now where it's like, do I front load it? Do I back load it? I don't know. What's more exciting? I don't know. <sighs> Heists are so difficult. Yeah. Once we crack the code on heists, we, we should we should do a full episode of how to crack the code. Yeah, we need to get John Rogers on here. He did leverage. Mm. He is a heist master. Oh my god! If there's like a blueprint to a heist that exists in John Rogers' brain, I would I would like him to share that. Was he going to take him to the grave with him? Come on, talk to us. About <laughs> yeah, <that>. exactly. <laughs> Come on, man. That's, That's it. it. That's all I got. We did it. We did. We, we started this episode. We're going to be like short and sweet. And then who knew that we, that we were going to have such a hearty conversation about so many different things. <laughs> do, uh, do you have a quote of the day? I do. Don't write a $200 million movie and wonder why no one wants to take a shot and make it. Seth Rogen. Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. I love you. <laughs> 
know why I was so negative. All right, please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And I am Joshua Holman on Twitter, Josh Holman on Instagram. And as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by a 4 and 4 bag, which you can find on Spotify. Mm-hmm.